Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Morning, everyone. Happy April 24th. Oh, I saw the light. <laughs> uh, happy April 24th, or as I like to think of it, the 32nd day of summer. And some of you are not dressed for it. So, listen, like I may or may not be wearing socks this morning. So you guys got to catch up. You're getting behind. Going to leave you, leave you behind. Going to miss out. Listen, uh, um, we're in our last week of our series, What a Difference Three Days Makes. Uh, so I hope that this has been uh, a, a significant thing for you. It's been really good for me as we've looked at some different characters and some different perspectives of Easter this year. And it's been, uh, I've just found that really invigorating. We've looked at Pilate. And the difference that these three days made in his life. We've looked at Peter and the, three day, the difference that these three days made in his world. We've looked at the women at the crucifixion and the difference that Easter made for them. And this morning we're going to look at the disciples and look at the, three, the, the, the difference that the, these three days made in each of their lives. And just as we have in all of these other cases, we're going to see again this morning that these three days made a huge difference for the disciples. And as we look at the disciples, we're going to find also once more that these three days should make a difference in our lives as well. And that as we look at them, that we can see the difference that that should elicit from us as well. So as we dive in, would you join with me and pray in prayer as we ask God to come and speak to us this morning. Father, today again, as we come to this point in our week, where we gather together, Lord, I pray that this wouldn't just be function, that this wouldn't just be tradition, that this wouldn't just be habit, but rather that this would be us engaging with you actively, that we would be leaning into you this morning. And that is, even we look at this whole area of Easter, which is common to us, familiar, and even as we think about the disciples, which in some respects are also common to us, familiar to us, that you would help us to see it anew today, that you would help us to understand it differently, that you would help us to change because of what we find. Because, Lord, our calling on our lives from you is to change. It's to be different. We never arrive this side of heaven. And so to that end then, Lord, I would pray that by your spirit that you would work today, that you would take this time and that you would redeem it even now in each one of our hearts and in our minds. For I ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. Okay. So to establish 
this morning the difference that these three days made in the lives of the disciples. Let's first take a look at the disciples going into Good Friday, if you will. And then we're also going to take a look at them as they come out of Easter, after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. So if you would uh, turn with me, if you would grab your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 27, and then we're going to look at verses 43 to 50. So take your Bibles. If you don't have them, there's one in the pews there. You can use your phone. We're not going to throw anything at you thinking that you're goofing off. Um, You can use the screens, whatever works best for you. Mark 14, starting verse 27, and then verses 43 to 50. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples just prior to the events of Good Friday and going into Easter Sunday. And he quotes Zechariah saying that the shepherd is going to be struck which is him, and that his sheep, the disciples, are going to scatter. And so he predicts what's going to happen in just a few short hours. And so then we drop down now to verse 43 to 50, and we hear this. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. Now this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. So as we're heading into Good Friday, as we're heading into the events that are just about to transpire in the life of Jesus, the soldiers arrive, it starts to get a little dicey, and everyone flees, deserts Jesus. The disciples run for cover. His closest posse, all Dessert. And even Peter, who makes a bit of a show of it, trying to chop off somebody's ear, probably also making a show of the fact that he wasn't much of a swordsman, even he abandons Jesus and separates him in the end, separates himself in the end, tries to create some distance. However, After Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, we see a whole different picture of the disciples. Something significant changes. 
where clearly their commitment and their priorities have been radically adjusted. We see this, first of all, in the case of Thomas specifically. So if you look now with me at John 20, verses 26 to 28. There John tells us that a week later, so this is a week after Christ's resurrection, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. He hadn't been with them before. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Mark gives us a picture of the disciples as a whole after Christ's death and resurrection and his his ascension. Mark 16 now, verses 19 and 20. There it says, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord, Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Thomas believes. And then the disciples, rather than running for cover, go out everywhere and preach the gospel, all on account of three days and what happened in those three days. As Jesus was taken, crucified, dies, rises again, and then ascends into heaven. Clearly, these three days made a significant difference for the disciples. They went from being wimpy to being Christ's witnesses. They went from concealment to public preaching. And we see that their priority to testify to Jesus Christ all of a sudden now trumps even their fear for their lives. A radical change. A wholesale adjustment of their priorities and objectives. Now, we're not told in Scripture what ultimately happened to all of the disciples. But through other sources, there is some indication. And so with varying degrees of authority, as best as I could determine, this is what happened to the disciples. Peter is understood to have been crucified in Rome. James, the brother of John, the second of the sons of thunder, was put to death by King Herod Agrippa. That's the only one that we actually find in Scripture. Andrew, we're told, was killed in Greece. Philip was killed in Asia Minor 
by crucifixion. Most of these actually were done by crucifixion, not all of them. Bartholomew was martyred in Armenia. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia. Thomas was said to have been stabbed by four soldiers in India. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned and clubbed to death in Syria. Thaddeus was crucified in Turkey. Simon was killed, perhaps in Britain. And Matthias, who replaced Judas, the one that was chosen to replace Judas after his betrayal, is understood to have been martyred in Syria. John is the one disciple who we understand died of old age, natural causes. So the three days of Easter then turned the disciples from doubt and fear into a force for the gospel. The understanding is, is that they divided up lots in order to determine which direction that they were going to go. Who was going to go where to share the good news of Jesus Christ? And from that point on, go they did. Out, literally, into the world, to every tribe and every tongue and every nation that they could accomplish in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to be, to be his witnesses in the world around them. And this morning I would submit that these three days should produce a similar effect in all of us. It should elicit a similar response from you and I today. That as we look at Easter, and what transpired there, that we should be motivated and propelled into the world around us to share the good news of Jesus Christ on account of the significance of those three days and what happened in them. As Bruce talked about last week, we first have to make a decision, though. Before we can go out and share that good news, we have to come to a decision. And that's the decision on, on this. Am I going to believe? Am I going to believe? Have you made that decision today? Those of you that are following us online, have you made that decision today? Do you believe? And for those of us that have, then the disciples point us to the fact that we now need to be his witnesses. That we need to go out and testify to Jesus Christ. Because that's what they did. These three days precipitated a very definite response from them. They went out and shared the gospel. And I would venture to say today that as followers of Jesus Christ, I think that we are missing that point. 
we are missing the point that Easter motivated the disciples to share the good news. For you and I today, I think that the predominant effect of Easter, the predominant after effect of Easter, is leftovers. Predominant effect is on our refrigerator. Easter means a big feast for us. And then leftovers. We come together, we talk about how significant Easter is. And then we go back to life as usual. Until next year, when we'll again prayed out Easter and talk about how significant it is, the difference that it makes, so that we can go back to life as usual again. That it's made a difference in my life. It's huge. But that's as far as it goes. And we're missing the point today that Easter launched the church. Easter launched the movement that led believers to go out and share the gospel in order to make other believers. They went out, it launched the church so that they could go out and grow the church, build the church, share the good news of Jesus Christ. Or perhaps more accurately, we're missing the point that though Easter was the original impetus, if you will, the original catalyst, that it should also be a catalyst every day for us as well. That it hasn't ceased to be a catalyst. We've left it behind, and we're missing the point that Easter today, every bit as much as it did then, should be propelling us out with the good news of Jesus Christ into the world around us. It isn't just for us. Easter is for everyone. And I think this morning that it's particularly important for us to understand this personally today. That we need to understand this on a personal level. Because it isn't just FBC's responsibility. It's not just New Life's responsibility. It's not just Southridge's responsibility. It's not just LGF's responsibility. It's not just Living Faith's responsibility. It's not the church proper's responsibility. It's our responsibility. Yours and mine. So we can't sit here this morning. We can't sit here this morning and say, well, what are you going to do about it? And, and we are those people, right? We can connect the dots. We see that this is significant. We understand that this should precipitate, this should elicit some sort of a response. But we've become this people where we look around and we look for who else's responsibility it is. 
So we can't just sit here this morning and say, well, what are you going to do about it, church staff? Like, what programs are you going to implement? Because I'm, I'm right behind you. What are you going to do for the next speaking series that's really going to get this thing done? We can't look around and say, what are you going to do, other person sitting beside me in the pew? Are you hearing this today? What are you going to do? The real question that we need to grapple with today is what are we going to do? What am I going to do? That's the real question. That's the one that we all have to wrestle with today, not what everybody else is going to do. But what am I going to do? Because of these three days, because of the significance that I understand them to be in my life, then what am I going to do about it? How am I going to respond? Am I going to wimp out? Or am I going to be a witness? Do I hide? Or am I going to be part of the force for the gospel? Am I going to be the continuation the extension of the disciples today in the world around me. Now, this morning at this point, it's also really, really important for us to understand another difference that these three days made. Because up till now, this is feeling pretty weighty on our shoulders, right? It, sounds, it feels like Doug's preaching at you today, doesn't it? And I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to me, me too. And it is weighty. It's heavy. But it's really important now that we don't just tune out at this point. Because there's another difference that these three days make, and it makes all the difference if we allow it to. And that's the difference of the Holy Spirit. Because these three days also hastened the arrival of the Holy Spirit for you and I today, for believers today. And that's what's going to change us from wimps into witnesses, from hiding into a force. Remember Jesus' words to us back in John 16, verse 7. Leading up again to these three days, leading up to Good Friday and then, good, and then Easter Sunday, he said this, But very truly I tell you, it is, good, it, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then we see, one of the primary reasons, if not the primary reason, why Jesus sends to us the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So having accomplished the Father's plan for him, having come to earth and having lived a perfect life, 
And Jesus now having laid down that life for us, rising again, conquering sin and death, and now offering to everyone life through him, having accomplished his part of the mission, if you will, in this sense. In Acts 1, 8, now we see that Jesus, Jesus commissions us for the next leg of the mission. That he's handing this off to you and I today. That he has got the ball rolling. He's given us the principles, the foundation, and everything that we need to work with. And now he says, hey guys, over to you. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Easter should precipitate in us a change. It should turn us into witnesses and why and how. And that's by virtue of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not just on our own, but because of him. We are now to be Christ's witnesses in the world around us. It wasn't just Spurgeon that Jesus called. It wasn't just D.L. Moody. It wasn't just Billy Sunday. It wasn't just Billy Graham. It isn't just the church or the church staff. It's not only just those that have the gift of evangelism today. It isn't somehow everybody else. It's all of us. It's you and me. Together. But note here again, note here again, it's not us on our own. It's not us sent out alone. This will be by and with the Holy Spirit. And we need to note now this morning that the Holy Spirit comes with power. He doesn't just arrive. But he comes and he's packing for you and I today. So Jesus doesn't send us out into this gunfight with a knife. And we talked about this back in January in our potential series where we talked about the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to go back and regurgitate all that this morning. By all means, if you didn't catch that, I'd encourage you to go back and check it all out again. But one thing, one aspect of the Holy Spirit that we didn't go through, go into in that series, that God, I think, has been saving for us today, is specifically this whole idea of courage and the Holy Spirit and the fact that he brings it. And we want to look this morning at 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. And this is going to sort of launch us into the second part of this whole 
message this morning. 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 to 8. This is Paul talking to his mentee, Timothy. And he says to him this, For this reason I remind you, Timothy, to fan into a flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid today. Timothy, the spirit that God gave us does not make us Timothy. Does not make us timid, I mean. Church family, the spirit that God gives us does not make us timid. But it gives us, he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That in and of itself is just a fascinating trifecta right there. We don't have a chance to go into that today. But could you think of three more disparate things, seemingly? Power, love, and self-discipline. Sometime we'll go back and look at that. So Paul continues, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And here we get down to the brass tacks. Because here's the thing. The life that we are called to is not for the faint of heart. Life, period, is not for the faint of heart, right? We know that. There's all kinds of junk in life that we've got to navigate through. We've been going through a lot of it here lately. But the life that Christ calls us to, that's really not for the faint of heart. Because that life isn't just waiting for stuff to happen. That's calling us into a life of action, which is going to bring about, which is going to encounter, which is going to actually precipitate junk for us. Difficulty for us. Challenges for us. And then Paul says, Timothy, because I'm not blind and I'm not myopic to this, Paul says, buddy, so join with me in the suffering for the sake of the gospel. Because that's what's going to come. That's what's going to happen. That's going to be our lot. We spend so much time trying to avoid it. And I get it. I don't want suffering. But we're looking at the wrong things. We're looking at the wrong thing today. We're looking at the suffering. And instead we need to be looking at these three days of Easter. Of Jesus Christ. We need to be focused on him and what he's done. We need to understand what he accomplished. We need to understand the consequence of what happens without him. And when we get focused on that, well, then the suffering begins to pale. It doesn't go away. Paul's not saying that. I'm not saying that. But this gives us then the premise, the foundation that we need to encounter and to navigate the suffering that's going to entail. So Christ comes along and he says, hey, life's not for the faint of heart. The problem is that we are all faint of heart. 
all of us going in today. So in his goodness and in his wisdom, then God has given us the Spirit. The Spirit, so that we can live up to this call now, so that we can accomplish the mission that he's handed off to you and I today. In a different take on it, if you will, here, the Spirit, capital S, is willing. But the flesh, you and I, are weak. So therefore, we need to lean in to him today to accomplish the mission that we saw the disciples step up to and meet and that we're called to step up into and meet as well. Now, this isn't the only place in Scripture that God calls us to live with courage. And we see that it's a theme throughout Scripture, which is again to say, this isn't just sort of a, a one-off. It's not sort of a side note that Paul's pulling out for Timothy because of Timothy's circumstances. Throughout Scripture, God is calling his people to live with courage because the mission that he's asking of us needs it. It requires it. We see this over and over. God calls us through his servant Moses in, De in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. There, Moses speaking to the people then, the children of Israel, as they are about to go on into the promised land the next leg of the journey that God has got us on as he reveals to us Jesus Christ and all he's done and who he is and what it's all about. He, he commissions his people. Moses does. He says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, because of these guys that you're going to encounter in this land. The promised land wasn't going to be simple. The promised land wasn't going to be a cakewalk. The promised land was the promised land, but it was going to be a workout. It was going to be a challenge. So don't be, don't be terrified because of them, God says. Moses says, or God says through Moses, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua picks up the call a little bit later as God speaks to him now. And he said, God says to him, as they're about to go in, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Later on, as we've talked about here recently, then Joshua points the people back and he reminds them that God has never, ever not fulfilled his promises, which is to say that he did go with them into that land. Isaiah 41, God, again, speaking to the people. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Paul speaking Encourages the people, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. Proverbs 28, 
verse 1. And this is, man, this is just a smattering. This is an exhaustive. Proverbs 28, verse 1. The wicked flee, though no one pursues. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Something that we don't talk about very often is that living in the Spirit is living with courage. We want to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and we should. That's important. But we need to understand that living in the Spirit is living with courage because the mission that we are called to is one that takes courage. And the mission that we are called to is the one that proclaims Jesus Christ sacrificed on our behalf, risen from the dead, conquering sin and death, and offering to everyone eternal life. My dad always used to tell me, Doug, the gospel is confrontational. Don't ever forget it. At its core, the gospel is confrontational. It's telling people that they're sinners. It's telling us that we've missed the mark. It's telling us that we're not good enough. And it's telling us that there's someone that is good enough. But it means to then bring our lives in line with them. With him. And that's not an easy message. But it is our message. And so proclaim it, we must. If we're going to be a force for the gospel, we have to live in the Spirit. And we have to be prepared now to suffer for the sake of the gospel in the world around us. Really quickly, since I'm here, I want to talk to two things really quickly. There's been a criticism over the last number of years about the theological term, the sissification of the church. I know it's a theological term. Somewhere in my master's program, I'm taking that. Sissification of the church. I'm just kidding, that's my term. Some of you are sitting there nodding. The sissification of the church. There's a criticism that the church is being made into a bunch of things predominated by women. And it's being therefore then patterned and built around women and they, the guys are getting sort of bored with it and so on and so forth. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. If that's the case, then I would like to submit it's because the guys aren't stepping up. Boys, I want to talk to you this morning. It's about time we as men had a bit of courage and not sat back and sat worried and criticized the church for being a bunch of sissies. Let's step up and do something about it. How about that? Oh, we sit back and we want to level accusations. We want to point fingers that abscond us somehow from getting involved, from doing what we're supposed to do, stepping up to the mission. And it's about time we apologized, asked Christ for forgiveness and said, help me just get it done. Don't let me just sit here and be a critic. Don't let me be some sort of wussy on the sideline anymore. Help me step up and do it. And I'll tell you what, we'll find out 
if we're men at that point? We'll find out. Got to stand up, boys. Got to stand up. And here's another thing, really briefly while I'm here. We've got into this habit nowadays where we talk about hurt. And I, I listen, I am, trust me, I, let me just say, first of all, I don't have the gift of empathy. I, I honestly don't. Mercy, I suck at that. So I'll, I'll say that. But I want to say something here. We're, we're, getting, we're wallowing in it nowadays. We're taking our hurt and we're making it the deal. We're focused on that. I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by somebody else. You want to know who was hurt by the church? Jesus Christ was hurt by the church. He was hurt by the church. And, and he didn't go into a pity party about it. He stepped up and carried out the mission because the mission is more important than the hurt. The mission is more important than the suffering because without the mission, people die to an eternity in hell. Got to get that through our heads. So even when we've been hurt, and I'll admit people have been hurt, I get it, I'm not belittling that, I'm not dismissing it. But as we wallow in it, we're telling the world around us that the hurt is bigger than our mission, which is to say that our hurt is bigger than Jesus Christ. That our hurt is bigger than the Spirit and what He can do in his, our lives. The hurt is bigger than His power. And that's garbage. That's bad, bad theology and that's lousy testimony. So we got to talk to ourselves. we got to coach ourselves through this stuff. we got to do what it takes to get past it so that we can get on with the mission that God is calling us to through Easter. What a difference these three days have made for Pilate, for Peter, the ladies, and the disciples. And what a difference these three days should make for us as well. Let's pray. Father, this morning again, as we come to you, Father, I trust that we understand the difference of these three days, and I pray, Father, that you would forgive us for the fact that we have not allowed them to be our priority, that we have missed what we're supposed to understand by this, that as we place our faith in you, that now we are commissioned by you to go out and help others to do the same. Lord, break us out of the rut that we are in where we look at our lives from our own perspective, for our own purposes, for our own pleasure, for our own comfort. Where we forget your cause where we forget the others around us, where we ignore them, where we simply just don't care. Forgive us, God. Change us today. By your Spirit, make us different people. 
that we would no longer be timid, timid, that we would no longer be intimidated, but that we would rise up and be the force that you call us to be. And I pray these things now in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. Hey, everyone, thanks for coming. Many more of these and you won't. Um, I hope I see you tomorrow night at the annual general meeting, and I hope I really see you also next week at Bud Miller as we go out and try and make a difference for Lloydminster and the community. See you then.